Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever, whenever, and however you're listening to this. Welcome back to the Swish Sports Show. This is your host, Rish, and let's get right into it today. I want to talk about Anthony Edwards coming off a brilliant performance against the Lakers last night in which he recorded 28 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. And we'll go into some of the comments Dwayne Wade had about the number one pick, Anthony Edwards, and what I think of his game going forward. A little bit about what I think about the T-Wolves roster going forward. Followed by that, we'll talk about Ben Simmons. Um, Earlier, I wanted to make uh, a pod about Ben Simmons and how he's been so frustrating. But obviously, recently, he's really turned it around. And I really want to talk about him. And I think what the Sixers and he needs to do for the betterment of that team. And then finally, we have to talk about the Utah Jazz. 19-1 and in their last 20 games. Are they real contenders? Are they pretenders? You guys will find out. So let's get right into it with Anthony Edwards. I don't have to say the stat line again, but he had a fantastic performance against the Lakers on the big stage. Uh, one of the feature plays was him pulling up right in LeBron's face on an ISO 3. But he really has turned it around from the rough start to the season. So before we talk about his recent surge in performances, I do want to get into some of the things he was struggling with early on. And so let's get right into it. Um, Anthony Edwards obviously was the number one pick uh, in the NBA draft coming out of the University of Georgia. He was someone that showed flashes as a great volume scorer, as well as having some defensive potential that hasn't exactly been realized at. And for the first half of the season so far, we saw a very up and down performance from Anthony Edwards. Some games he would really show out and the shot would be falling, but obviously at other points it would be really bad percentages, really bad splits, and he was really struggling from the floor. Even at one point, his averages were something like 13 points on like 34% from the field, and since that has gone up, uh, especially since him becoming a starter with the injuries that have mired the T-Wolves, especially with D'Angelo Russell, Uh, Rubio and even Malik Beasley has missed a couple games here and there. So um, Anthony Edwards has always been a fascinating prospect. Uh, Going to University of Georgia, I had the pleasure of watching him a ton in that freshman season. And while I was very impressed with his ability to score, there were significant faults with him entering the draft. His shot selection namely being one and obviously his three-point consistency as he only shot about 29% from three in that freshman campaign at Georgia, and there were some concerns about how he would fit in a situation where he's not the primary option. And this was something that was very prevalent in that first half of the season. Uh, He really wasn't really in a rhythm um, for most of the season, for most of that first half per se, Um, And you really didn't see any off-ball action from him, especially when D'Angelo and Cat were healthy for the very few games to start the year. But even with the second unit, um, you really didn't see him cutting or moving around much. He definitely was standing in the corner often and getting the ball in weird positions where he'd have to take tough shots. Some of the other faults include him over-dribbling the ball and then taking bailout shots for the defense in the sense that, you know, he would overdribble, which runs down the shot clock, and then take like a pull-up mid-range that's contested, which would eventually break out. 
but there were some positives. I did think his three-point shot still looked better in that first half, even though it wasn't falling as much than it did in college. Um, one thing that's very clear by Anthony Edwards from the start has always been his confidence. And obviously that was to a fault to start the year based on the percentages. But that has recently turned around um, in the last couple games, and especially really since he's become a starter. And this really started with that 25-point outburst against Golden State and has really carried over for the last 8 or 10 games. I believe he's averaging 17.5 points, uh, 5 rebounds, 3 assists on 45% from the field, 36 from 3, and 80 from the free throw line, which aren't spectacular numbers, but for a guy that was really struggling, um, it's really good to see him turn around. And he's turned it around while getting more minutes and even more opportunities which is something positive to note. And also, I forgot even to mention, he's only averaging one turnover a game, which based on his play style, you would expect a little more given the erratic displays we saw in the first half of the season. On defense, he's basically maintained a similar status throughout. There really isn't um, many rookies that come into the league and immediately become great defenders. You know, there are some this year, like Okoro and um, the kid Devin Vassell in San Antonio. But these guys were already projected as NBA-ready defenders. But Anthony Edwards has a very unique skill set, which features some uh, high-level strength for his size. He's about 6'6", 220, I believe. And he has decent length and can really contest shots at an above-average rate when he's kind of been in the opportunity of doing so so despite these fantastic tools he has had struggles uh really learning the pace of the game and just how uh, other offensive guards in the league kind of operate you know with that heavy dribble isolation style you know running around screens for three-point shots and such so off ball wise anthony Edwards has still struggled defensively uh really trying to pick up um and learn just basically how the NBA offensive game works. However, let's talk about the positives that have come about in the last 8 or 10 games with Anthony Edwards. These positives have shined so much that Dwayne Wade last night actually went out and said that Anthony Edwards has all the tools for him to be greater than Wade. A very unique comment because Dwayne Wade obviously is one of the legendary players of the 2000s, 2010s uh, era of basketball, and he's considered one of the greatest shooting guards of all time. There are some similarities to be had between the two. Anthony Edwards has shown a unique explosiveness in getting to the rim and using his upper body strength to really be able to body and muscle his way through tougher defenders, such as Rudy Gobert and Andre Drummond, who he kind of put in highlight reels earlier this season. On top of that, he has a really tight handle, and now that he's starting to understand the pace of the offense in the NBA more, it looks like he's playing much more under control and within the flow of the team. One of the major points that I think no one's talking about within Anthony Edwards' growth is how he's been able to operate within the pick and roll that has usually been with Carl Anthony Towns or Nas Reed, both big men who can shoot threes at a very high rate, obviously Cat being one of the greatest three-point shooting big men of all time, but Nas Reed has really improved and taken a step up in his development as becoming a rotational big man who can shoot 
39-40% from three. Whether that holds up we is still yet to be seen. But he's been able to master the pick and roll and the fact that he knows he's starting to understand whether to pass out or go in and use his upper body strength to leverage uh, himself against the defender and try to finish at the rim. Now, some of his growth has really just been a matter of his shots falling. Obviously, like I said with the percentages earlier, he did struggle from the field early on throughout the season, but finishing at the rim has become more and more impressive for him, whereas earlier, you know, he really wasn't finishing at the rim despite being able to get to the rim with that upper body strength I keep bringing up. And this is a great sign, obviously, because... I mean, he, like I, like Dwayne Wade said, he does have the tools to be a great player in the league. Whether he's better than Dwayne Wade, um, still yet to be seen very early in his career. We're not even halfway through the season yet, so I can't exactly make a prediction on that. But I do think he has really elite tools that will help him grow and develop, and, and develop his game uh, in order for him to become a star potentially. My comparison for Edwards coming out of uh, the class was a Victor Oladipo with a little bit less on the defensive edge because I think at Oladipo's peak, he was obviously uh, on the all-defensive team and was a lot smarter than Edwards than I, uh, a lot smarter than Edwards. Um, but obviously, that's something that can change as Edwards, you know, gets more experience in the NBA. I think the three-point shot has been really impressive because, again, you know, some of these are not the best shots that he's taking still because he does play with a extreme level of confidence, which in this case has actually helped because they're falling more and also just shows the remarkable potential that he has. But above his game, there is something that makes Anthony Edwards special, something that Anthony Edwards has that can save Minnesota. And by saving Minnesota, I don't mean, you know, bringing them a championship, but bringing Minnesota back to relevance and really getting this team to finally show a direction of some sort. The Timberwolves have pretty clearly been one of the worst teams in the league this year. I believe they have the third or fourth worst record in the league, and they've been mired by injuries to D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. But... On the bright side, that has given more opportunities for the young guys on this team to shine. And that goes beyond Edwards. Their other rookie, Jaden McDaniels, has shown a lot of potential on the defensive end. Uh, Jalen Noel, who was a second-round pick last year, has turned into a nice rotational guard uh, as something to look for going forward. And the previously mentioned Nas Reed, who was an undrafted player out of LSU last year, has shown a lot of potential of being... Uh, someone that can really step in when Carl Anthony Towns is hurt, which is unfortunately something that we see often, and really just showing potential as a great stretch big man on the offensive end, still a little bit lackluster on defense. Now, back to my main point. Oh, and to mention Jared Culver, I guess, um, Jared Culver hasn't really taken a stride. It's been another very inconsistent start to the season for him, and I'm starting to wonder whether he is potentially... Um, a draft bust from last year's class. It's still too early to tell. I don't usually write off young players until they're about three, four years in, but I'm starting to have my doubts about Jared Culver's ability to succeed in the NBA. Now, the main point of Anthony Edwards, I think, that is so special is 
the maturity and leadership of him. Um, some like obviously you guys have seen if you follow Edwards, he's a very fun character that has captured the eyes of media um, with his fun press conferences and you know being the embodiment of what it is to be from Atlanta with you know the bluntness and you know just the carefree joyfulness that Anthony Edwards brings to the Timberwolves organization. And that, along with Anthony Edwards' ability to uplift the team, is something that I think is going to be huge for him going forward. Ricky Rubio talked about how Edwards has managed to really uplift everyone on the team when they're going through struggles, when they're losing. You know, Edwards plays with the maturity of someone who's been in the league uh, for a couple years now. And, you know, this is not a knock against Carl Anthony Towns because I think he is, again, fantastic player, the greatest three-point shooting big man in NBA history. But we've never really heard much about Carl Anthony Towns as a leader. And despite his overwhelming talent, you know, the Timberwolves have finished dead last almost every year since he's been in the league, except for the time that Jimmy Butler was there. And they just really have not showed any direction. And prior to Anthony Edwards's game picking up and, you know, the recent reports of Ricky Rubio saying how much of a leader he is and how he really uplifts his teammates while they're in their own struggles, while the team is struggling. And he brings out confidence within these young players, which I think is really huge for this team because, you know, I've never heard anything about Carl Anthony Towns being a leader that's not a good thing or a bad thing it's just something i i don't think many people know about and obviously he's had a tragic you know last year or so dealing with this pandemic but um you know just overall throughout his career you know what have we heard about carl anthony towns uplifting his team and if anthony edwards can bring that that gives this team a sense of direction to me the timberwolves is a collection of loose pieces that really don't mesh perfectly and I don't think that Ryan Saunders is the right head coach for this team because from what I've seen his rotations are not that great and he he's not someone that inspires greatness out of his team and being that he's a young head coach you know I'm not sure if you know there is growth to be had but I do think that the organization needs to make a decision sooner than later because you don't want to waste the prime of Carl Anthony Towns and not even the prime, you know, just however long Carl Anthony Towns is on your team because there's always a chance that, you know, he could bounce. But him and obviously D'Angelo Russell, who's still on that massive contract, you do want to get the best out of these guys. And having someone that's an energizer bunny per se in Anthony Edwards is a great step in bringing this team forward. Now, for a final verdict on, you know, the idea that he can reach the status of an NBA great, as Dwayne Wade has said, um, I'll make a bold prediction. And, you know, this is totally baseless because we are not halfway through the season. But I do think he will be a great NBA player within this decade and going forward. I do think he'll have multiple all-star appearances as well as a couple all-NBA teams. Um, if his growth, you know, pans out the way I believe his skills uh, have shown the potential to do so, which is someone that's an elite scorer, 
um, has shown some playmaking skills. Like I said, low turnover guy, and the assists have gone up a little bit. I do want to see more playmaking from him. He has shown the ability to be an elite passer with some passes that have really, you know, wowed me and something I didn't really see at Georgia. And then obviously on the defensive end, he has the strength, the size, and, you know, that the arm length to really become a disruptor on the defensive end and at the least become someone who's league average. And I think that would be a great step. So, yeah, that's basically my take on Anthony Edwards. I think he has tantalizing potential, obviously, especially on the offensive end. And I'm really excited to continue to watch this kid. Obviously, he's going to hit a rookie wall at some point. And I'm really interested to see how he handles that and, you know, what's next for the Timberwolves as an organization. Now, I want to move on to another number one pick. And that being the 76ers dual forward, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is perhaps one of the most talented players in the league overall. And I know a lot of people may not think that just because he doesn't have a jump shot, but he reads the defense at an elite rate, which is something that you really have to do if you don't have a jump shot. He's a great finisher at the rim and has a unique offensive skill set in the paint and around the rim that allows him to be dominant at times. Keyword, at times. And on the defensive end, I mean, I would consider this guy a top three defender in the league, if not the best defender in the league. Um, Based on his versatility, he can literally cover positions one through five, while also uh, showing great off-ball instincts, getting in the way of passing lanes, um, picking up on double teams, etc. And... My main point is Ben Simmons is an enigma to me. I really do not know what to make of him four years in. And that's not the idea that he's like a bust or not, because that's that's ludicrous. Um, Also, the idea that he hasn't grown since a rookie is something that I think is being pushed in the mainstream just because he hasn't developed a jump shot yet. But I really don't think that means that he hasn't improved at all. Because on the defensive end, I, he, I'd say each year he's gotten better to the point where he's now a top three, if not the best defender in the league, as is my opinion. He's still a remarkable playmaker, and he's still one of the best young players in the league by far. A top 20 player in the league by far. Now, here's my issue with Ben Simmons. And this is something we've seen you know, on and off throughout the season. And it's the lack of aggressiveness. There are too many times that I've watched Ben Simmons, you know, when he's not, you know, taking over a game as he did recently in getting his uh, new career high of, I think, 42 or 44 against Utah. Um, Sometimes he'll just drive in. And even if it looks very easy for a player like him to be able to finish at the rim, he'll do a kick out. And, you know, which will either lead to a bad shot. Sometimes it'll lead to like a make. But, you know, those seem like bailout shots that help Simmons look better than he is um, as a playmaker. But and that's, again, not a knock on Ben Simmons as a playmaker because he's remarkable. But, you know, it's those empty assists, right? It's not really the best play, but if it works, it works. And one thing I really want to see is, you know, Ben Simmons finally make the leap, and start to be more aggressive. I understand that the fit with Embiid isn't perfect 
because both are primarily interior players, even though Embiid can step out and hit jump shots when the time arises. But Embiid obviously has not played, you know, significant minutes as it relates to other NBA stars. He's basically still on a 32-30 minute restriction type basis, which is again good for the Sixers to keep him healthy and make sure he doesn't suffer an injury given how his career started out. But that also means there's an opportunity to, opportunity to stagger minutes between Simmons and Embiid where you just have Simmons out there instead of um, having both of them out there. And I think this is where, you know, Simmons can really reach that next level and take over and dominate, which I think he has, especially in the absence of Embiid. But we've seen this before. And I do wonder, like, why we haven't seen this all the time from Simmons when Embiid's not on the floor. You know, even if he's in the game, like, just Ben Simmons needs to be able to take over because he has elite, elite athletic ability and he can get to the paint with ease. And normally he's a mismatch for almost any player in the league, right? Because of the explosiveness, the burst of speed, and because of, you know, just the overall athletic skill set, his size, his length, and the ability to dominate inside the paint with unique finishes, you know, little hook shots, dunks, whatever may be the case. Ben Simmons needs to be able to, you know, become a superstar. I think he's a star in the league. But in order to become like a top 10 player, I do want to see him reach another level of of aggressiveness Sorry, to his game that we have not seen yet. And I think that would be massive for the Sixers, who are the best team in the East and do have the talent to reach the finals. I do think the Sixers team um, is the best constructed around these two that we've ever seen. The addition of Seth Curry was remarkable in exchange for Josh Richardson, as Seth Curry has been extremely productive. But even having guys like, you know, Shake Milton, who's emerged as a lot better, even though he's struggled as of late. Tyrese Maxey emerging as a secondary ball handler um, to take those duties away from Simmons and adding a scoring punch off the bench when need be, as well as Tobias Harris being used more efficiently by Doc Rivers than he was used by Brett Brown, um, which has shown an increase in his production and effectiveness throughout the season, although there have been some minor bumps, but you know that's basically what it is for any team, any, any player season, right? There are bumps in the road. And Joel Embiid becoming a legitimate MVP candidate. Um, I think he is the MVP in my opinion. I do think his value to the Sixers this year especially is more so than any other player to their team. Although I understand the argument for LeBron. And it's not like if LeBron wins it then it was like a robbery. It's just my personal opinion that Embiid should win MVP this year. So yeah, I mean that's really my thoughts on the Sixers. Um, if they do want to make any moves to strengthen this team going forward, I think you just bring in a shooter. Like having Simmons and Embiid, you need to load up your team with shooters. Uh, I know I've said this um, before when I talked about the Sixers earlier uh, in the year, but yeah, I mean, if you want to get a, go out and get a guy like J.J. Redick, who I think would be an interesting buy low option because of his struggles throughout the year, or someone of that mold, then that would be another reason that the Sixers should be considered one of the favorites to win the East 
if not the favorite. I don't know how Brooklyn is going to contain um, Joel Embiid. The issue with Brooklyn is defense, obviously, but on the other hand, Brooklyn can definitely win just strictly by outscoring you. Milwaukee, we've seen what happens when a coach knows how to handle and collapse defenders on Giannis, and when Middleton is not hitting his shots, the Bucks really aren't that great of a team, which has been the case almost every single playoff for the last two, three years now. So the Sixers do have a really good chance at coming out of the East this year. And I think in order to solidify that idea that they can, Ben Simmons has to be much more aggressive and reach that next level in his offensive game where he's not, you know, relying on his teammates to bail him out offensively. And he needs to, you know, just take more command of the offense. This is a special player and a special playmaker. And I understand that, you know, sometimes he is creating for others. And it's not that he's trying to get rid of the ball or, or like, is a stop by the defense or something like that. But, again, I just want to see Ben Simmons be more aggressive, be more of the guy we saw near the end of last season rather than what we saw to start this season. So, for the final topic of today, I just want to talk about the Utah Jazz, a team that has been absolutely remarkable and yet still finds its way under the radar despite despite having the best record in the NBA and going 19 and 1 in their last 20 games. Now the question I posed to you were, are they contenders or pretenders? Now, before I get started, I do not believe that any team can beat the Lakers at full strength in these playoffs this year. And still, even if there was a team I would take over the Lakers, it would probably have to be the Clippers the way they can match up by having Ibaka on um, AD, as well as alternating Paul George and Kawhi on LeBron. That being said, that doesn't mean that the Jazz aren't contenders, because I actually do believe they are. This is a team, and I know that a lot of people, you know, saying this are saying, oh, they blew a 3-1 lead last year. You know, the Utah Jazz don't have a superstar on their team. The Utah Jazz don't have what it takes to hang with some of the, you know, more offensively skilled teams in the West. And to that, I ask you, just watch one Utah Jazz game. I had the... I had the misfortune of watching the Utah Jazz play my Atlanta Hawks about a week ago, week week or two ago, and they absolutely dismantled them, which was expected given the Hawks are pretty bad this year. But ever since that game, I've been paying way closer attention to the Jazz, obviously recently watching the Sixers-Jazz game as well as a couple others that have happened over the last two weeks. And this team, if they can keep up the type of play style they're playing right now, This is a legitimate team that can really do some damage in the playoffs. And if they go on a magical run like the Heat did last year, they can find themselves in the finals. But obviously, like I said, I still think the Lakers are my pick. But let's get into why, right? Now, this is going to sound crazy, but the Utah Jazz remind me of the 2015-2016 Warriors squad that won 73 games. Now, a lot of people will say that's insane. The Warriors had Steph, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. 
as well as a bunch of other pieces that made their roster so deep and so loaded, you know, heading into the playoffs that they were absolutely unstoppable. You know, before they blew a 3-1 lead to the Cavaliers, they came back 3-1 against, came back down 3-1 against the KD and Russell Westbrook Thunder. But like I said before, just watch a Utah Jazz game. The passing offense of this team is absolutely beautiful. And if you think the Warriors are too excessive of a comparison, that's fine. Watch, compare them to the old Spurs then from 2012, 2013, when they made the playoffs in back-to-back years against the Heat and won one, lost one. But that team was special passing the ball. The ball movement on this Utah Utah Jazz team is almost equally impressive, if not more. Everyone understands their role on offense, and everyone has been playing up to par. Rudy Gobert is someone that was criticized, not like him being criticized, but the Jazz were criticized for giving him a $200 million Supermax extension in the offseason, which is something that I found very confusing as well as I did not know what the direction of this team was in by limiting themselves by having that cap hit for the next five years. But Rudy Gobert is still one of the more elite defensive players in the league. Don't let that Jokic, um, those Jokic torching sessions with Gobert, um, you know, make you think different. Because again, Jokic is a generational talent and one of the greatest big men we have seen over the last decade. But Gobert is still an elite interior defender, and I think he has in some ways gotten better in stretching out to the perimeter and covering guards and even forwards um, on the three-point line, which is something I really didn't see much of in prior years. But Gobert aside, um, Donovan Mitchell is obviously the primary scoring threat on this offense. And I think, you know, despite struggling again to start the season, he's really picked it up and He's just remarkable. He's a guy that can score from anywhere and in any fashion. He's an athletic slashing guard that also offers deep range and has shown decent instincts on the defensive end. I think his defense gets a little overhyped sometimes, but he does have really good reaction time and just defensive IQ in order to alter or contest shots made by offensive players. And Donovan Mitchell, to me, is the heart and soul of this team. He's the leader. He plays with a lot of conviction and heart, and that really has spread to the rest of the roster. Mike Conley, who was someone that was maligned last year for his lack of production throughout the season, which was rightfully so. He really struggled adjusting to Utah, and we didn't see much of him. Now, the stats may not look too much different from last year to this year, but Mike Conley has been tremendously better. He's playing within his role perfectly, and I think he's an underdog to be an all-star this year. Given that there's so much talent in the league, I don't think he makes it because, you know, stats are bigger than impact at times, but he has been sensational on both ends of the floor, and especially on offense, which is something we really saw him struggle with this year or last year. And he looks a lot more comfortable. His shots are hitting. And as a playmaker, he's really done a great job alleviating pressure off Donovan Mitchell and setting up the offense and being the floor general that we saw for so long in Memphis and that we didn't see last year 
until the bubble, and then he struggled in the playoffs. So Mike Conley makes this team exponentially better just by his impact going from basically negative to immensely positive. But he's not the only one. Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal are still very important wings who come off as 3 and D players, although Joe Ingles is more of a three-point slash slight playmaking wing, I would say. He has shown some talent in running the pick and roll with Gobert and Derek Favors. Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, not to be confused with the Atlanta Hawks guard, has been really good picking it up after a really bad struggle to start the year. Uh, his three-point shots are dropping, and he's just got that Euro skill set within the mid-range and the post-up that allows him to really be an effective second scorer, second or third, depending on how you see Conley. And he's been a very effective second or third scoring option to Donovan Mitchell. And off the bench, and this is where things really pick up, I don't think I gave this team enough credit for their bench, and I don't think many people did either. The Jazz really didn't make many moves in the short offseason that we had. They added Derek Favors, but they also extended Jordan Clarkson. And to me this year, Jordan Clarkson is the runaway favorite for sixth man of the year. I mean, recently he dropped 40 in a game off the bench, which is, I mean, it speaks for itself. So that has people, you know, more tuned into what he's doing this year. But basically the entire year, he's been exceptional. And I think Jordan Clarkson has never really got the respect that he gets, especially from that um, awful Cleveland Finals uh, series, which he averaged like two points, uh, didn't hit a single three and shot 23% from the floor, which is admittedly terrible. But he was being misused in the sense that he's not a spot-up guy and he was being asked to just become a catch-and-shoot type of player. In Utah, he's been allowed to you know, act more on ball and create for himself, which has led to these scoring outbursts that he had and allowed him to average 18-19 points on pretty good efficiency for a high-volume shooter. There is some still some questions on the defensive end, obviously, is sort of a liability, but offensively, he's just been so good, and I really don't see that regressing too much. I don't know if the splits will hold up completely, but even if he regresses, I think he would still average about 17 points on the entire season on relatively league average shooting splits, which is massive for Utah off the bench, because really when Mitchell was off the floor last year, it really felt like this team was lacking a scoring punch. And obviously Clarkson was still here, but he wasn't producing at the rate that he is right now. He was so much more inconsistent last year, and we're not seeing that as much this year. And besides Jordan Clarkson, Derek Favors, I think, has been a really nice signing because when Rudy Gobert's not on the court last year and in years prior, um, or years between the last time they had Derek Favors, so basically just last year, um, the defense fell off tremendously. And Derek Favors has really carved out a nice niche for himself in his career, being the number three overall pick back in 2010, um, just becoming someone that's really adapted to the modern NBA, despite not still not being able to shoot the three. He's a really strong interior big man that can make his presence known on the offensive rebounding, but also defensively, he's, I think, really underrated for the job he does. He can stretch out 
and cover forwards at times. And on the interior, he's a great release option for Gobert. And we saw previously Gobert and Favors were being mismanaged um, by a team that was still stuck in the past and had them playing together. But now that Favors is playing behind Gobert, uh, this team and these two in particular have really meshed so much better. So for the Utah Jazz going forward, um, oh, and also one more thing. I mean, this is a team that's also taken a bunch more threes. And I think that's really been huge, huge for the team's offensive success and why they look so good in the ball movement aspect. I mean, they're finding guys, guys are cutting off across screens, and really, I mean, their shots are just going in. We just didn't see this amount of three-point production from these, basically these same players like Ingles, uh, Royce O'Neal, Mike Conley, and Jordan Clarkson in years prior, and even Bogdanovich that we're seeing this year. And so it might be an anomaly that regresses as we get closer to the playoffs, but this is a team that's going to be very interesting to watch. And if they can maintain this pace of play, there is no reason for me not to believe that this team has what it takes to potentially reach a finals. Do I think they will? Again, no. Do they have a chance? I think it's very realistic. So that will be the end of the show today. If you guys enjoyed, please share with your friends, post it on your stories, etc. And I will see you guys soon. My NFL mock draft, which I've been working on since the start of the season, will be out this Friday. I'm very excited to get that out to you guys. Um, It will be on the podcast as a whole unit, and it will also be in YouTube split into two videos from picks 1 to 16 and picks 17 to 32. So if you guys are excited for that, please repost this podcast on your story. Let me know what you guys think of tonight's episode and my takes on Anthony Edwards, Ben Simmons, and the Utah Jazz as a whole. And I will see you guys soon. I'm going to try to upload a YouTube video tomorrow. Possibly we'll, we'll see how everything goes. And yeah, I mean, that's all. I'll see you guys on Friday, if anything. And I'll talk to you guys later. Have a great night. Be safe out there. And thank you for listening.